What happens uh, every four years, I guess every two years now that we've split up the Olympics into the winter and the summer, is that something unusual happens to me when we have the Olympics. Uh, I know many of my friends do not watch sports. And they complain about the complexity of the rules of sports. And, you know, I have a tendency to be an arrogant jerk, and so I'm just like, football isn't that hard to understand. And then uh, curling comes on TV, and I am suddenly thrown into the same confusion that many of my other friends feel. I don't know what's going on. I know that there's big granite stones. I know that they're brushing or brooming, but they're not really brooms, but they used to be brooms. And it looks a lot like there's a target, but then they're knocking stuff out. And it's, it's kind of hard for me to watch because I don't understand the way you keep score, right? And so they do their activity, and then all of a sudden it's like, woohoo, and they get real excited, and they're jumping up and down. They're like, look at what we just did. And I'm like, okay, congratulations for doing the thing that scores the thing that does the thing. Because I have no idea what the rules of curling are. And this is maybe experience, some of you experience all the time with sports, right? For some of you, this is football. You're like, oh, look, they hit somebody and he caught a thing, particularly with the rules at the Super Bowl this year. There's, we're having a debate about that was a catch, it's not a catch. And someone's like, but he obviously caught it. And we're like, no, that doesn't count, you know? There's all this complexity. And we sometimes don't even know how you keep score. Maybe you've had a similar experience playing a board game, right? One of these newfangled uh, fancy board games that some of us like. And someone goes through like 30 minutes of rules about how the game operates. And at the end of it, you're like, that's great. How do I win? Right? Like, this looks fun, and I'm excited to play. The process looks wonderful. But how do I score points? How do I win? I don't even understand the winning and losing mechanism of this thing, Right? And we just get confused about this idea of how are we keeping score. And some of what's happening in the book of Galatians that we've been walking through is Paul is struggling with people who don't know how to sort of keep the spiritual score. They don't know what counts as good stuff and bad stuff. And so they're fighting with one another about their own sort of individual spiritual scorecards. Uh, Last week, as we came into this section, I left you with a cliffhanger. Uh, I had someone complain, last week's sermon didn't really end. It just told me I had to come back next week, and they aren't here today, so maybe that was a mistake, okay? But last week, we talked about slavery versus sonship, right? We talked about how many of us, despite being children of God and having the power of the Spirit in our lives still attack our problems the way a slave would deal with their problems. And what Paul means by that is that we keep trying all of our own schemes, all of our own spiritual fad diets to take care of our spiritual needs. And Paul says, no, that's the way a slave goes about things. That is the way Ishmael goes about things. Isaac, the child of promise, trusts the Spirit. We say, well, what does it mean to trust the Spirit? And I said, well, you have to come back next week. Well, that's what we will talk about today, how we trust the Spirit. Now, um, I'm going to read a section of this. It's kind of off topic. I just didn't know if this was kind of a little bit of the passage we'd skip past. But I think it's really interesting in the severity of it and that Paul kind of makes a real strong point. And so 
um, I wanted to read through it um, as we go through the whole chapter. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Continuing that slavery theme from last week. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For though the Spirit, through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, I, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. All right, so this is Paul's way of dealing with this issue. He says, if you are going to this, um, to this form of scorecard, if your idea of how you keep score in the church of who is righteous and who is not is whether or not you're circumcised or whether or not you keep the Sabbath or whether or not you eat certain foods. Just give up on Jesus. Jesus has no worth to you. Just go on back to living out the law of Moses and hope that'll provide righteousness, which Paul has made clear in this letter, it will not. He says there's just no point if you're going to go back to that stuff. If your way of evaluating someone's spiritual health is to check the status of their circumcision or what they ate for lunch, your scorecard is awfully, terribly wrong. And he finishes the whole thing with this wonderful rhetorical flourish, right? Of, if you're so big into circumcision, let's just move to castration, okay, guys? Why don't we just, you know, don't no half measures here. I mean, this is a very, um, this is a very rough way that Paul is talking, right? Because Paul feels this strongly about this idea of going back to a system where you are following the law of Moses to try to be righteous. Because he believes that's a system of slavery, not of freedom. And now he starts to describe the ways that living by the Spirit looks different than living by the flesh. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled by keeping one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So Paul starts out with a very, very simple point. He says, all right, so what does it look like? What does free living look like compared to slave living? What does the spirit look like versus the law? And he goes, number one, it's just treat other people the way you want to be treated, right? It's just this simple thing. And he says this, much like Jesus, he talks about how this is the fulfillment of the law. What was the valuable, beautiful, good part of the law? It's treating other people like you want to be treated. It's just that simple. Um, this is really important and I think interesting. It feels simplistic to us, right? 
that Paul would just go back to this one thing. And it feels like the kind of answer that a kindergartner would give, right? What does the Bible tell you? Be nice to other people. But Paul doesn't, he's dealing with people that are making these detailed, complicated arguments about the value of circumcision and the law and the covenant people and all this stuff. They're trying to add all this complexity. And Paul is like, no, no, no. First step, if you want to keep score of who is living like God wants them to live, do they treat other people the way they're supposed to? And he, he does this, he, he shows this part of this conversation that's been happening all through this chapter where he says, some of you are sitting here biting each other, right? Uh, we talk about backbiting, right, as a, as a phrase that we have. You're, you're, you're being cannibals to one another, the way that you're fighting this fight. I think he alludes to this earlier when he says, the persuasion of these people is not the kind of persuasion that Jesus gave you. And I think he's, he's encouraging them to be kinder and more graceful and more loving. Now, he also tells them to castrate themselves, so maybe he needs his own advice a little bit, right? So this is a problem. But nonetheless, there seems to be this suggestion of you treat other people like you want to be treated. And Paul is saying this is all this complexity, all the theological stuff you're trying to work through, you are missing a very big picture. And the number one way that we keep score is who is being nice to everyone else. Second piece here. So I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The act of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul gives us one of his famous what we call vice lists, right? Where he lists all the things that you can't do and be you know, part of what God's kingdom work is in the world. And as we look at this, uh, don't miss this very first sentence. What I'm saying to you is that if you're following the Spirit, this stuff will follow. If you're not, this bad stuff will happen. Right? It's um, right here. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The people that he is preaching against are saying, follow the law. Law, 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 law. The law is what keeps you away from this stuff. And Paul goes, no. I think the thing that keeps you away from this stuff is letting the Spirit into your life. Because the Spirit just doesn't like this stuff, right? The Spirit does not desire these things. And if the Spirit's moving in your heart, you're not going to go here. It's very easy for us to think of these puritanical sort of values, right? Sort of, um, we immediately, a lot of people jump, obviously, because we live in the culture we do, to the sexual immorality stuff. There's a lot of stuff there about debauchery and orgies. And because we live in the kind of culture that's obsessed with that stuff, that's what we talk about. And that is there. Paul says those kinds of lifestyles and activities are not the things that you will do if you're filled with the Spirit. But it's really easy to focus in on those and act like it's Paul criticizing the culture at large and letting the church off the hook, right? But there's other things in that list. There's things like fits of rage, discord, creating factions. That's nothing that any religious person would ever do right? 
We would never have any religious leader or religious person who creates a factioned society and puts people, us versus them, and creates division in the church over issues like whether or not you're circumcised, right? Nobody would ever do those in the history of the church. And the reality is there's church stuff in here too, okay? Some of these things, this is just the first news story, I poor preacher in North Carolina. This is the first one that came up. Some televangelist uh, who was committing tax crimes, right? Uh, we have seen that religious leaders and religious people are not devoid of jealousy and envy and greed and all of these other kinds of things that creep into this list. So the reality is, Paul is saying, if you are not living by the Spirit, there is this huge list of stuff that's going to happen that you're going to do, and we can all raise our hands to say, yes, we have been there, right? This list is broad enough. You do not have to be like a pimp to commit one of these crimes, right? There are other things that you can do that puts you in the same category when you're not living by the Spirit. And so Paul's teaching about all of this um, starts with number one, be nice to other people. Number two, don't do evil stuff. And the reason you won't do it is because the spirit will make, won't even make it appetizing. Um, this is maybe an experience you guys have had. I am getting to this point. Um, I probably make too much of it. I am now a guy in my mid-30s. I think 34 counts as mid-30s, right? which feels a little weird. Um, I've reached the point, maybe my body is just rapidly decaying. I've reached the point where I can't eat stuff like I used to eat stuff, right? When I was in high school or college, it does not matter how greasy or fatty or disgusting something is, I'd eat it. My stomach would be like, yep, I can handle that. And it would somehow digest it. And then I would go and go do something active and have a good time, right? Like, Obviously not that much active, but some things active, right? And it wouldn't bother me. It would not bug me. I would not wake up in the middle of the night with a sick tummy, right? I no longer live in that reality, okay? I am now living in a reality when I have, I love spicy wings, right? When I have spicy wings, I have unpleasant experiences at 2 a.m. I just do. Those things happen. My stomach is no longer capable of handling those things as it used to. And it's causing a change in how appetizing things look, right? Something like this, I go, oh, that's a lot of grease. And that feels like stomach pain down the road, right? Just looking at it. Whereas 10, 15 years ago, I've been like, that looks delicious. It's so cheesy and greasy, right? Paul is saying this is kind of what the Holy Spirit starts to do to us. When we live in the Spirit, when the Spirit moves in our lives, where we do things like ask the Spirit to be in our lives, eventually we start getting spiritual indigestion when we eat spiritual junk food. And it leads to a point where in the old day where it used to be like, debauchery, that looks awesome. Now we look at it and we're like, oh, that would be so bad. That would be so terrible. That would make me feel like garbage. Maybe you've had this feeling. I've known people that have had extreme ones and like little moral things. Like there's this TV show I used to love. And now when I watch it, it's just so negative and nasty and sad and depressing. I don't like to watch it anymore because what's happening, they don't often say it this way. The spirit is causing them to desire the good things in life and watching things that are negative and gross and nasty 
don't make don't don't feel good anymore. They're the greasy, fatty food that they could consume well in college that now their old stomach can't handle anymore. And Paul says that's the way this works. This list of all this stuff, all this debauchery and fits of rage and all these other things he puts on. He says when you have the spirit moving in your life, you just get a different appetite because you look at that list of stuff and you go, ugh, that is not worth the trouble. Not even, it used to be, oh, that looks fun. Now it's like, oh, that looks like just a pain in the neck, right? Because you start to be transformed in your personhood. Instead, you start to want this stuff. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So Paul gives us this awesome vision of the fruits of the Spirit, right? Um, Yes, I did try to, you know, we took the greasy hamburger as the evil stuff, and the fruit is this wonderful, refreshing, all-natural good thing, right? And Paul talks about how you develop these fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? Again, we need to learn our kids' songs because it helps us remember these things. And Paul says when you're following the Spirit, you start to just develop this stuff. You start to crave being more loving and more kind and more gentle. And the really interesting thing is he then uses this phrase, um, Against these things, there's no law. There is no law. Um, I can't even remember the artist now. There's a song, Love is Not Against the Law, right? There's just, there's no law against being loving or being gentle or being kind. Um, now, this is very simplistic. So one of you is immediately going, well, I'm trying to think of a situation where I could be loving, it would be against the law, right? And Paul Purposely wants you to stop doing that. There's a reason that he makes this across-the-board statement. He's saying, love is not against the law, neither is self-control. God will never be like, you know, you're just being far too self-controlled in this moment, right? Or, you know, I don't know, you were so gentle with that child. You know, it's so sinful how gentle you were. Paul says, it's ridiculous. These are things that, you know, again, if you've worked with a nutritionist, maybe they've told you something like, honestly, fruit, it's got sugar in it, but... If you're eating fruit instead of other stuff, eat as much of it as you want because it's good for you. And this is kind of what Paul is saying. Eat this stuff. Use this stuff. This is the good stuff. This is the stuff that makes you a better person. If you have an unending hunger for being more gentle and more patient and more kind. And over time, the Spirit develops you into um, that kind of a person. So we get back to this question of how do we keep score, right? How do we, uh, when we look at the lives of other people, when we evaluate how other people are acting, we evaluate our own lives, how do we decide what scorecards are going to go up? And score is not really the best way to talk about it, but it's, it's kind of what Paul's getting into here. He's dealing with people that have a definite scoring system that is circumcision, Sabbath, kosher, et cetera, et cetera. And Paul gives these three simple, three simple things. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Don't do obviously terrible stuff. And do obviously good stuff. 
right? That's his scorecard. That's how Paul is holding up his his tens and his nines and eights, etc. Um, I want you to notice how incredibly not complex this is. This is a real challenge for us. Because let's be real about this situation for a minute. We have we live in a world where sometimes we have trouble with scorecard, right? Um, this may not be the best example. I should have thought of it more before I say it, but I'm just going to say it. Um, I've, I, I'm in a, a Facebook group with other ministers, and we've talked about a lot of controversial things, and people got real hot about some things. But the number one thing that they've gotten upset about has been cursing. There's some guys in the group that are like, you know, cursing is just, just words as long as you're not being you know, mean to people. You know, if you stub your toe and say something, whatever. And there's other people in the group that are like, no, the Bible talks about clean language coming out of our mouth and having nothing to do with the filth of this world. I have, we could talk about, you name it, we could talk about abortion or sex or politics, and it did not get as hot as the are you allowed to say four-letter words conversation, right? And immediately what happened is the books come flying. There's commentaries. We're looking up Greek words. Well, Paul uses this word. Would that have counted in a curse word in the ancient world? Well, according to my Greek grammar, it does. And well, according to mine, it doesn't. We go crazy, right? Maybe this is just ministers. But we grab all the books off the shelves. We grab our internet searches. And we desperately want to know what is the exegetical answer to the right and wrong way to deal with whether we curse or not, right? Paul doesn't do that here. And this is that kind of a debate. This is a doctrinal debate. The people who are urging circumcision can open up their Bible, point to a chapter and verse and go, see, God says you got to do this to be a righteous person. And the other side goes, yeah, but there's some other circumstances. And they could get all embroiled in a huge debate about the exegetical efficiency and correctness of keeping the law of Moses. And I know they could because I've had that conversation a billion times with preachers about the law of Moses and why we don't practice it anymore. And we pull out our commentaries and we pull out our books. And Paul says, slow down. If you're going into a fit of rage in your defense of a doctrinal position you're probably making the wrong position. If you are approaching an issue in such a way that you are being unkind to the people you disagree with, you are wrong. And he says, if you're going about it in a way that exudes love and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, you're probably going about it right. Because that is the difference between a spirit that transforms you and trying to do things um, your own way. What this really comes down to is Paul is trying to encourage them to allow their character to be formed. Right? This is about living the kind of life that you act like Jesus, that you have the fruits of the Spirit growing in your life. And if your fight for the truth leads you to be a negative person, it's probably not the kind of fight you need to be in. All right, I'm going to go one more step and get a little more serious with you. Please don't run me out of town on a pole. We live in a really angry world. We live in a, um, 
a world that is all about righteous indignation, right? And sometimes it's about good stuff, okay? There are things that people in our society are really angry about that I'm angry about. But if we're going about it in a way that doesn't develop fruits of the spirit and instead develops bike bat backbiting and sort of cannibalism in our verbal exchanges, that is not what God desires, no matter how just your cause is. Uh, Paul says circumcision means nothing. This is something God asked them to do. This is part of the covenant of Moses. And he says in the end it means nothing compared to the fruit of the Spirit. For us, that means your hashtags mean nothing. No matter how good it is and no matter what words that follow and how true they are. If you are using your fight for justice to be filled with fits of rage, that is not the way God wants you to go about it. He wants you to be formed in the kind of person that is patient, that is gentle, that is kind, that is loving, that's self-controlled. If you're so angry about a social issue that you cannot control your thumbs on your phone, then you are not demonstrating the spirit, the fruits of the spirit. And I do not care how right or wrong you are on the issue. And this is what we always talk about. It's like, whoa, dude, you need to slow down. It's like, but I'm right. And, blah, 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 blah. and we get all flustered and we start pulling the books off the shelf and we talk about the history of the world and how oppressive this is. And yes, sure, I agree with you. But if you cannot interact with the world around you in a way that shows self-controlled kindness and gentleness, then this is not God's fight. This is your fight. And we can stand behind things that we care about and value and let the Spirit do it in a way that honors God. Because if circumcision can be meaningless, then whatever your latest soapbox is can also be meaningless and be rendered meaningless by your inability to let the Spirit move in you. You are going back to slave tactics, not child tactics. You are operating as someone who is living out their own power, not trusting the power of God. And that's not easy, okay? I'm here too. If you would go through my social media feed, I'm sure you'd be like, Caleb, hypocrisy example number one, hypocrisy example number two, right? Okay? But I am convinced in the world we live in, we are being conditioned to tell the fruits of the Spirit to take a hike. Because if we're angry and we're loud and we're nasty for the right causes, that's legit. And I think Paul would say no. To use 1 Corinthians, if I do things without love, if I speak with the tongue of angels, but I do not have love, it is nothing more than an idiot banging on a gong. Because I have got to treat people the way the Spirit would want me to treat them. Uh, every image of the fruits of the Spirit online are all very Pinteresty. okay? You cannot find one that's not got like nice little fonts and a little happiness. This is so hard. This is, you, you guys know from my sermons, this is my boilerplate of how I keep score. When I'm done with an interaction, I go, well, let's see, Caleb. Were you loving? Were you kind? Were you gentle? Were you patient? Were you self-controlled? I hate the self-control one. There's a lot of times where I feel like I handle a situation pretty well, but I was not self-controlled. 
I was like, but I was right. And it's, it doesn't matter, right? And so I just, I, I, I'd encourage you. I think Paul says this is the way that you keep, this is the way you keep the score, is if these things are being formed in your heart or not. And if they're not, we're just not going about this the way God wants us to. All right. Uh, another thing Preston does is a, a Q&A slide, which I don't have. Uh, do we have any questions uh, about today's sermon? Right. So is your question like, well, what happens when we see these spirits, the fruits of the spirit and people who are not followers of Jesus? Is that kind of the question? Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. Um, and this is where I'm really, I don't say this often, this is where I'm indebted to my more reformed Calvinist friends because they have this beautiful com concept called common grace, right? If you begin with the belief that all people are terrible and nasty, then you have to do something to explain why people are sometimes not terrible and nasty, right? And so the way you do it is this doctrine of common grace, this idea that the Spirit does something in Christians that's special and unique, but that God also pours out grace on total pagans because he's, that's the God he is. And it's called common grace. It's not because of your salvation. It's not because of your relationship with God. It's not because you're baptized. It's because God just pours that out on people sometime. And Gandhi got sort of an extra measure of common grace, so to speak. Um, I, I like that idea. I think God does do things. And certainly we have different points in the Bible where there's this idea of God does convict and move people who aren't even in his covenant people. One of the hardest, one, uh, weirdest ones is um, uh, Naaman and his leprosy, right? He's an official of a foreign country who serves a foreign king. And he comes and he has leprosy and he asks Elisha to heal him. And Elisha goes, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll heal you. And he washes, you got to go wash in the Jordan River seven times. And they have a little debate about the river pollution in the Jordan River, but nonetheless, they do it. He washes, he's cleaned. And he comes back to Elisha and he goes, I believe in your God and I believe that I've been healed. But part of my job is to go to church with the king at the church of, you know, Ashurbanipal or whatever and worship a God who's not this God. Can I get an exemption? Is that okay? And it's sort of like there's just this understanding. He's a pagan and he doesn't have the same understanding of the covenant of God, but yet he still is enlightened enough to, to come to Elisha for help, right? And it's interesting that then when Jesus starts his ministry, he goes, you know, you guys are going to hate me the same way you hated Elisha when he healed the servant, right? And he immediately brings that story up in his sermon at the synagogue in, in Nazareth. So, yeah, I think there's some kind of common grace. I think that these fruits of the Spirit sometimes are demonstrated even in people who I don't, I don't think have the Holy Spirit, but that's because God does what he wants with the Spirit.